Amen, amen. You may have a seat. You have a seat. Welcome, everyone, to the Vineyard. My name is Christian. I am the associate pastor here. It's so good to be with you guys today. Before I, I jump in, I just wanted to highlight one of our announcements that this Tuesday night at 7, we're going to be having our next all-church prayer and worship night. And so I really recommend, really encourage you to come out to this. We do this once a quarter because we, we understand that, that without the Spirit, we're, we're just prone to drift into apathy. We're, we're, we're prone to just drifting into an apathy in which we lose our love for the Lord, in which we, we lose our love for, for this community, for this church. We lose our, our desire to see people come to know Jesus. And so we regularly want to create rhythms where we're asking the Spirit of God to come and, and fill us afresh to fill us afresh, to give us a a fresh understanding of God's love for us, a fresh understanding of his love for this world, and and that he might fill us and encourage us and empower us to go out and and be the church that he's called us to be. And so I really encourage you, this Tuesday night at 7, it's going to be a good time, and and I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do. All right, let's jump in. Early in the 20th century, An ad in a London newspaper read like this. This was an actual ad that read in the newspaper. It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, and constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Now, I'm not a marketing or recruiting expert. You you know, that's that's not my background, but... I mean, if I'm honest, if if I'm trying to recruit people to go on a journey with me, this is probably not the language that I would use. Constant danger, safe return, doubtful. But you see, this ad was signed at the bottom by a, a man named Sir Ernest Shackleton, who was a famous Arctic explorer, and thousands of men ended up applying for this journey based on the ad. Shackleton would later say that he felt as if all of England had signed up to be on this journey with him. 2,000 years ago, in a prison in Rome, the Apostle Paul, he offered a similar invitation to his young mentee named Timothy. Paul knew that his days were numbered. He knew that his impending execution could come at, at any moment. And so in his last recorded letter, Paul offered Timothy an invitation to follow him along the path of of Christian leadership and service. And and like Sir Ernest Shackleton, Paul wasn't very good at sugarcoating. It wasn't his forte. And so this is what we read in in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Join with me in suffering. Today, as we continue our our series that we've called Lead Where You Are, we're going to be looking at Paul's invitation to Timothy and examining the accompanying encouragement and advice that Paul gives to his young mentee. And and as we talked about last week, Paul's advice to Timothy, it's going to be really helpful to us whether or not there's an official title of leadership behind our names or not, because as we shared last week, all of us have the ability to lead because all of us have the ability to influence others. You might remember if you were here last week, I said last week that leadership is influence, 
nothing more and nothing less. And so to the extent that we, we are influencing people around us, influencing people in our home, influencing people at our, our work, in our school, in our neighborhoods, amongst our, our extended family and friends, we, we are leading. We are leading. And so because all of us have the opportunity to lead, we, it, it's really important that we pay attention to, to Paul's words to Timothy. So why don't we pray, and then we can open up to 2 Timothy 2. Let's pray. Jesus, I just admit my need for you right now. I just admit I need you to help me. Would you come, Holy Spirit? And God, I pray that you would speak specific words today to folks that encourage, that strengthen, that bring conviction, God, where necessary, that bring fresh excitement for what you're doing in their life. Would you help us to align ourselves with the vision that you have for this church and the vision that you have for our lives as individuals? Please, God, make your word come alive today in our hearts, God, and in our minds. Do you put power on my words, God? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I said, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be working through the book of 2 Timothy over the next few weeks. It's a pretty short book, and this is what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Amen. Now, there's so much here for us to glean in this this brief passage, and so I want to spend the rest of our time just pulling out a few lessons that Paul has for us today. And so here we go. Number one, jumping on in. Paul stresses that good leaders, this is our first point, good good leaders prioritize prayers for help. Good leaders prioritize prayers for help. Let's look at verse one again. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace That is in Christ Jesus. So when Paul tells Timothy to be strong in grace, he's he's calling on Timothy here to to lean into God and ask God for help. That's what it means to be strong in grace. It's to lean into our God and ask God to fill us up afresh with his his strength, with his courage, with resolve, with, with wisdom. And understanding, we're we're coming to God in that moment and we're saying, God, I really, really need your help here. I can't do this by myself. That that is what it means to strengthen ourselves in grace. You you know, one of the distinct aspects of the Christian life is that followers of Jesus are, are, are always called to look outside of ourselves for help. That that is a distinction of the Christian life, that we never look within, we never look to ourselves. To pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. That's not, that's not the message of Christianity at all. We, we look outside of ourselves for help. And so we look outside of ourselves for our justification. 
That, that none of us would say it is based on my own merit, based on my own good works, ba- based on my own sacrifices, that, that would justify me before God, that would make me acceptable before a holy God. That, that instead we believe that, that when we become followers of Jesus, we, we ask Jesus to come into our life and, and we receive from him his death on the cross on our behalf, that our sin is placed on Jesus and that his righteousness is then accredited to our account. So that when we stand before God, he he doesn't see our sin and our junk and our brokenness, but rather he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. We, We look outside of ourselves for our justification and we look outside of ourselves for our help, for our competency. We, we recognize that we don't have what it takes to fulfill the calling that God has on our life. And so we come before our God and, and we, we strengthen ourselves in grace and we ask over and over and over again for his help. And, and listen, the, the reason why many of us struggle with prayer isn't because we lack discipline. And, and that's the common refrain that you hear, right? That, gosh, if only I could be more disciplined, then my prayer life would be better. If only I was more disciplined like him or more disciplined like her, then, then my prayer life would improve. But I, I don't think it's our, our lack of discipline that creates the prayerlessness in our life. I, I, think, it's rather, I think it's rather our overconfidence in, in our own abilities, that we, we fail to pray because we're just overly confident, because we just assume that we're, we're going to navigate our way through life, that issues are going to pop up, that problems are going to arise, but we're essentially just going to, we're going to figure it out. You, you know, if, if you're driving on 71, you're driving on the interstate, and suddenly you hit a patch of ice, and your car begins to spin out so that you're doing circles on 71, you're not going to need a lot of discipline in that moment to cry out to God and ask for help, Right? Because in that moment, you recognize something. In that moment, you recognize your need for the Lord. It's not the lack of discipline that that creates our prayerlessness. It's our overconfidence in ourselves. And and so let let me just share one way that we can be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, one way that we can press in and become people who regularly are just asking God for help. It's a really simple idea, but I think it's, it's really helpful. You know, when waking up each morning or when driving to work, why not ask God to, to strengthen each part of your body? Let's take five minutes. And you can do this in the shower. You can do this on your car ride, on your way to work. Five minutes to just simply come before the Lord and, and bring each part of your body to him. And so this is what this looks like. You can come and, and you can place your hand on your ears. And you can say, God, today would, would you help me to to hear your voice. I don't want to miss you throughout this day, God. I don't want to become so consumed with my task list and and what's going on that I just fail to hear your voice, that I fail to to stay connected to you. So would you you bless my ears, God? Would you strengthen my ability to hear from you? Then you might place your your hands on your mouth and say, God, would you you bless and, and strengthen my mouth and help me to honor you with my speech? I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to mutter words, God, under my breath that are dishonoring to others. I, I don't want to be angry. Would you help me, God, to honor you with my lips, to, to bring blessing and life into other people through my lips? Would you put your hand over your eyes and say, God, help me to see the world 
As you see the world, would you give me your eyes? God, I don't want to be blinded by my own biases and my own judgment. Would you help me today, God, to see the world as you see the world? Put your hand on your head. God, would you help me to to have wisdom today? Would you help me to have insight today? Would you give me wisdom as I go about the day? You can place your hands before him and you can say, God, would you bless the work of my hands today as I go to work or as I go to school or as I stay home and take care of the kids? Would you give me favor and and, and blessing as I I strive to, to honor you with my work? And lastly, you can place your hand on your heart and you can say, God, would you... Would you bless my heart? Would you strengthen my heart? Would you remove from my heart any amount of inordinate love, God, that, that, that would love anything outside of you? Would you help me, Father, to love you in a way that, that you are my number one priority? It's a simple, simple practice. It can take two minutes, but I, I think for many of us it would be really helpful. We strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Good leaders prioritize prayers for help. They come before their God each day and they ask for him to intervene, that they might be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Secondly, good leaders, they prioritize obedience to Jesus. Obedience to Jesus. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Join with me, he says, in suffering, Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now, here's here's what Paul meant. When a man or a woman enters the military, some of you know this, you've you've been in the military, they commit to obeying their their commanding officers. They, They commit to coming under their authority. And in the same way, when we become followers of Jesus, Jesus isn't He doesn't become one source of authority in our life among many, but he becomes the authority under which we now live our lives. And friends, we're called to obey Jesus. We're called to attempt to please him, even when it doesn't fully make sense. You know, one of the most challenging passages in all of the Bible for me occurs in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, Peter, Jesus tells Peter and his men to to head back out into the waters and to lay down their their nets and and to go fishing again. Now, Peter and his his fellow fishermen, they'd been out all night fishing. They'd been fishing all night, and they hadn't caught anything, anything. So now it's back, it's morning, and they're tired, probably frustrated, probably just want to go home and go to bed. And yet Jesus tells them, I want you to go back out and I want you to, I want you to lay down your nets. Now, we, we, we can't forget here that the Peter was, he was a fisherman. That, that was Pete's job. That was his trade. And so I, I imagine in this scenario, Pete's tired. He's probably thinking to himself, Jesus, I, I don't tell you how to be the son of God, all right? Don't tell me how to fish. It's probably what was going through Pete's mind at this point. But this is what we read Peter saying in Luke 5, Verse 5. This is so, so challenging for me. I, I love this verse. Here's what we read. Simon, who is also called Peter, answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will lay down my nets. Because you say so. 
You know, you can head to Barnes and Noble and you can head to the leadership section of of Barnes and, and you can find all all types of different books on leadership, which are, are gonna lay out for you the different characteristics and the different traits that need to be present in someone's life if they're going to make a good leader. But when when God begins to look for men and women that he can use, when he begins to look for leaders, I I think he starts right here. He he starts by looking for men and women who are willing to say, because you say so. Because you say so, Jesus, I'm going to honor you with my singleness. This isn't where I want to be. don't want to be single the rest of my life. But I'm going to honor you with my singleness. I'm not, I'm not going to just pursue every single relationship that comes my way. I'm going to wait until I find someone who is a committed follower of Jesus. And I'm not going to attempt to medicate my loneliness by, by just trying to hook up with random people. But I'm going to honor you. I'm going to stay pure and I'm going to honor you in my singleness. Because you say so, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with this marriage, even though it's taxing and it's hard, and there's a good part of me that just wants to bail. I'm going to seek counseling. I'm going to seek help with my spouse. I'm going to commit to praying with my spouse. I'm going to commit to coming under some accountability here because I know that this is what you've asked me to do. Because you say so. Because you say so, Jesus, I'm going to take in my grandkids, even though I'm 65, and this isn't where I thought I would be at this stage of my life, you know, taking care of a four and a six-year-old, but, but I'm going to do it. Because I, I feel like this is what you're asking me to do. Because you say so, Jesus, I'll say yes. Friends, what are, what are the because you say so's in your life right now? Do you have any? Do you know this one? Is there anywhere in your life where you, where you could say, you, you know, this isn't the way that I would sketch out my life. But as I've prayed, as I've sought the Lord, as I've sought counsel from other friends and other people in the community, I, I feel like this is what God is asking me to do. And so because you say so, Jesus, I'm just going to say yes. Good leaders, they prioritize obedience to Jesus. Thirdly, good leaders prioritize integrity. Good leaders prioritize integrity. Let's look at verse 5. Similarly, Paul says, anyone who competes as an athlete, they do not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. Now, in ancient Greece, there, there were three rules that you had to abide by in order to compete in the Olympics. Three rules. Number one, you had to be born in the right nation. Number two, you had to commit to to 10 months of intensive training leading up to the games. And number three, you had to compete according to the rules, of course, established for that particular event. Now, here's Paul's point. Here's what he's getting at. Paul's saying this. What we do in secret as leaders matters. What we do in secret matters. You might have all the giftings in the world, and you might have all the charisma and the talent and the vision, but if you're not competing according to the rules... In other words, if you're not living your secret life in accordance with God's commands, you disqualify yourself from receiving the prize. I love how one pastor put it. He said this. He said, you are who you are when no one is looking. Want to know who you are? You are who you are when no one is looking. The best gauge we have for the state of our heart, the best gauge we have for the state of our obedience and our integrity is who we are in private when no one else is around. That's who you are. It's not who you are in the lobby at church. It's not who you are out in the parking lot. 
Not who you are up on this stage. It's who you are in private. And is there any leadership topic in our culture today more relevant than the need for integrity in the private lives of our leaders? Our trust of politicians across both sides of the aisle is is at an all-time low. And in the past few weeks, we have seen a a string of accusations levied at at seemingly every politician in the state of Virginia. I, I mean, that's just constantly what's on the news. But this isn't just a problem for politicians, of course. This past week, an influential pastor from Chicago was asked to step down because of multiple offenses, which are pretty egregious. And now in the last year, we've seen the two pastors from the two biggest churches in Chicago both step down amid scandal. This in less than a year. So Paul says to us here in verse 5, you want to influence others, you want to be used by God, you need to compete according to the rules. You need to protect your private life. And as we zero in on our private lives, I want to focus just for a moment on a sin that doesn't get a lot of play from the pulpit. You know, there's a lot of sins that that I could choose to zero on here, but, but there's one particular sin that doesn't get a lot of play, and that's the the sin of gossip and slander. Now, now lean, on, lean in on this one because this is really important here. There, there is no sin that causes so much destruction and yet such little conviction than the sin of gossip and slander. That there is no sin that can cause so much destruction in the church, in a family, in an organization, and yet cause such little conviction in our hearts and gossip and slander. Slander and gossip can absolutely tear apart a church or a family or an organization, and yet we can speak poorly of someone when they're not around and feel absolutely nothing, no sense of conviction. And so if you want to be a leader, you want to have a positive influence on others, you need to make a personal commitment that you are not going to speak poorly of others when they're not around. It's just got to be a commitment. I'm just, I'm not going to do this. And, and, and I'm not going to, to cheat either. I'm not going to, to speak poorly of others, you know, because I, I'm, I'm trying to, to sneak it through in a prayer request, right? All, all the little ways that, that we try to, to sneak our gossip in. You need to resolve that you will not tolerate other people belittling others in your presence either. That you're, you're just not going to listen to it. You're, you're not going to, to be on the receiving end of it either. The extremely influential church father, one of the most famous influential theologians in church history, was a man named Augustine. And he had a little placard on his dinner table that said this. This is true. He said, the placard said, Who injures the name of an absent friend may not at this table as guest attend. It's a little placard he had on his table. Let me, let me read it for you one more time. Who injures the name of an absent friend may not at this table as guest attend. So I want you to imagine for a second being invited to Augustine's place for dinner. He's a big deal, so his schedule's probably pretty busy, right? And so maybe, maybe you have to set out the, the dinner four months in advance. So four months you have, you're, you're anticipating, you're looking forward, you're, you're going to get to dine at the table of Augustine, this, this important church father, this theologian in the church. And So imagine yourself showing up to his 
place and you sit down for dinner. It's a, a beautiful, amazing spread, but you're nervous. You're not really sure what to talk about. It doesn't feel like you have a lot in common. And so maybe, maybe a few minutes into the meal, you, you know, partly out of, out of your nerves, you, you just make a, a little joke at someone else's expense, someone else from the church. And don't you imagine Augustine stopping you and saying, you know what, I, I'm sorry, but this, this just isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. I don't know if you read the little placard on the table, but here, here at, at this dinner table, we don't, we don't speak poorly of others. So we're, we're going to get some help. We're going to box this up for you. We're going we're gonna to make sure you get a nice spread to take with you, but th- this, this just isn't going to work. So you see, here at this table, we, we do not tolerate speaking poorly of others in their absence. My, my prayer for this community, guys, and, and my prayer for myself is that we would be a people who honor God with our speech, who honor God with the way that we speak to one another, and that we, we would be a community of people who just simply doesn't tolerate the belittling of others in their absence. Because what we do in secret, what we do outside of the spotlight, guys, it absolutely matters. We are who we are when no one is looking. That's who we are. Good leaders, they prioritize integrity. And lastly, good leaders persevere. Good leaders persevere. Here's our last point. Let's read verse 6 again. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive his share of the crops. Farming, as, as many of you know, it's a tedious, tedious process. I'm not a farmer, grew up in the city, but what little I know about farming is that it's a tedious process. And so many of us, like myself, are just disconnected from the soil. We forget that months of planting and waiting and harvesting went into the fruits and the veggies that we just grab from the produce section at Kroger. And we're given this agricultural metaphor by Paul here as a reminder that as leaders, we are called to keep plowing and keep planting and keep watering and keep pruning, even when we're seeing very little fruit. We're called to persevere. Called to persevere. John Tyson, who's one of my favorite pastors, I quote him often, he says this. He says, everyone wants to show up to the fire, but no one wants to gather the wood. Everyone wants to show up to the fire, but no one wants to gather the wood. And what he meant was that everyone loves showing up to something once it's become a success or once all the kinks have been worked out. Very few people are willing to love and nurture and pray something into existence. You know, the American church, guys, it is is really good at producing consumers. But the American church is not always great at producing farmers. Not always great at producing people who are willing to nurture and, and grow and care and pray something into existence. Because everyone, guys, everyone loves coming to a home group when it's thriving and it's full of 20 people, right? When there's a buzz and an energy to the room, you got 20 people hanging around the kitchen and there's just a lot of life and it's like, wow, God is really doing something in this home group. But it is hard It is not easy to start up a new group. Some of you know this one. It's not easy to start up a new group and to sit around with the two other members in your group for weeks without a lot of momentum. 
especially when one of the three members is your dog, you know? That's challenging to just keep showing up when no one else is coming. And everyone loves coming to a neighborhood block party when it's filled with laughing kids and 30 people from the neighborhood. But it's not easy to go out that first year, knocking on doors, meeting your neighbors, and trying to convince the people on your block that if they come to your backyard, you're not going to murder them, right? That, that, is, a much, that is a much harder thing to do than simply to, to throw out a well-oiled machine. Everyone wants to show up for the fire, guys but no one wants to gather the wood. And much of leadership, whether you're leading informally or formally, is gathering the wood. Much of leadership looks and feels like planting in a hot field and wondering if these little seeds are ever going to actually grow into something. Much of leadership is just tiring, it's unglamorous, and it's painfully slow. It's painfully slow, like a farmer is just waiting for the crops to come. Just waiting day after day after day. It's just painfully slow. So Paul tells us to persevere, to keep plowing, because the hardworking farmer receives, he says, the first share of the crops. Now, what does he mean when he says this? What does he mean when he says the hardworking farmer receives the first share of the crops? here's Here's what Paul is getting at. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's eating food from their own garden, but it's a totally different experience when you're eating food with, with a gardener who's, who's prepared something that, that they've, they've grown themselves. So I, I've been at people's homes before when they, they brought out tomatoes from their garden and, and put it on one of my sandwiches and and, you know, watched as I took a bite of the BLT, and it was almost like they were watching with bated breath. Like, do you taste that? Do you taste that? And in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, man, it tastes like a tomato. Like, it's pretty tomato-y. But, but you see, to, to the gardener, to the farmer, it doesn't taste like a tomato. It tastes like months and months of, of care and sweat and prayers and playing Mozart for the plants or whatever you do if you're a gardener. I, I don't know. It's never been something I've been into. It's a different experience altogether because they've seen this thing grow from a little seed, a little sapling into something that it was actually tasty and to, to real fruit. You know, some of you guys have been around here since the very beginning. Church has been around for about 26 years. Some of you guys have been around since almost the beginning. You, you remember what it was like to gather, you know, in that little white church building on, on Demarest. Some of you have just been around and you have sacrificed for this church. You have given money. You have given energy. You have led. You have put your heart and your soul into this church. You have you've sown into this church like a farmer who's just dutifully planting and plowing as the years go by. And so, for those of you who have been around for years, for those of you who have really just given yourself on behalf of this church, when you come on a Sunday morning, your experience here is just a little bit different. It's just a little bit different. When, when you see people engaging with the Lord, when you see people meeting Jesus for the first time, when you, when you see people encountering the Holy Spirit, it's just a little bit sweeter. 
It's just a little bit better than, than for those of us who, like myself, have just kind of stumbled in in the past year. It's because this is the fruit of your labor. It's because you've seen this thing grow from something small into something beautiful that, that produces fruit. It's a little bit sweeter. It's a, a little bit better. You, you get the first share of the crops, the, the best share, because you were, you were one of the farmers. So, so Paul says to us, guys, he says to us, keep plowing and keep planting and keep watering because you who farm, you who, in other words, are willing to, to lead out, you're going to receive the best reward. Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We've got just a, a few minutes left here, guys. And, and here's, here's what I want to do. I, I want to give a chance for some of us to, to respond. And so in, in just a second, uh, I'm going to invite some of us to come forward, to come to both sides of the stage and, and receive some prayer. And as I said last week, you, you know, my prayer for this community is that increasingly we would become a commu- community that, that really emphasizes prayer at the end of our services that this just wouldn't feel like a, an addendum or an add-on to the end of our service, but it would really feel like this is, this is a huge part of what it means to gather as the Grove City Vineyard. And so, I, again, as I did last week, I'm just going to encourage you, if you have been trained to pray here at all over the last 26 years, we, we're going to ask you to step us to the side of the stage. And as I said last week, if halfway through the worship song, no one has come up to you and asked for prayer, why don't you just start praying for each other? That we as leaders want to lead out, and we want to show that this is a priority here. This isn't a gimmick. This isn't a, a short-term strategy. That This is what we do. We pray for one another. This is one of the ways that we become strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so if, if you've been trained to pray here, why don't you head to to either side of the stage now. You can do that now. And there, there's a couple groups I, I would love to, to invite forward. But of course, if you, you need prayer for anything, I would encourage you to pray. You, you know, just, just as an aside, there was a year in my life that was really, really hard. I don't know if you guys have ever had one of those kind of years. Maybe this was unique to me, but I had a hard year, a really hard year. A few years back. And so there was a year where I, I just committed I was going to get prayer every week for, for that year. And that's allowed here, right? Like th- there isn't like a punch card where you, you can have too many punches. We will keep praying for you. And so for some of you, I know your stories. And, and sometimes I'm like, I, I don't know how you're not getting prayer every week walking through what you're walking through right now. And so I would just encourage you, why, why not get prayer? It's free. It's easy. It's not that awkward. Let me head back to my notes. You know, at the front end of the sermon, I I said that that, that God loves to use people who are willing to say, because you say so, I will do it. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't line up with my wiring or the way that I would plan things out, God. But because you say so, I will say yes. And for some of you today, you know that you have some because you say so's in your life. And I just feel like there's a fresh invitation for the Lord to, 
to come and bring those things for him. Maybe because you've been stalling, maybe because you've been putting it off, or maybe because you've stepped in, you've said yes, and it's just been even harder than you anticipated. And so you you just need some extra strength, some grace to continue to, to say yes to the Lord. And then secondly, you know, I, I did share that the, one of the ways that we honor God with our integrity is that we honor God with our speech. And some of us, if, if we were honest, would say, God, you know, I, I am not always great at just keeping control of my tongue, either with my spouse or with my kids, or, or maybe just in the, the break room at work tempted to kind of lay into your boss or tempted to get caught up in the gossip. And so some of us today, I think, just need to come to the Lord and say, God, I I want moving forward to honor you with my tongue. I want to honor you with my speech. I recognize I haven't done this perfectly, but I I want by your grace to be able to, to do this in a way that honors you. And so if that's you, I'm going to encourage you just to come forward and get prayer, to repent and say, God, would you help me? Would you help me? We are who we are in secret. So if, if either of those, those invitations connects with you, well, why don't you start coming forward now? And if you want prayer for anything, we would love to pray. And for the rest of us, let's, let's close by singing one last worship song.